loves KidVid, the other loves cooking, it's the DigiGuys. And now, please welcome a guy with a life mate and a guy who's on J-Date, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What are you searching for? Deep in the night, a dream. So, uh, before we get into our tribute to the late John Avildsen, um, Corey, who sent that intro in? That was sent in by Mario Big Ass Mendez. Yeah, thank you, Mario, as always. So uh, the reason that I'm playing the uh, uh, theme, the, the Survivor music from the Karate Kid instead of anything from Rocky is twofold. Uh, first of all, I didn't have any uh, tracks from Rocky. Uh, thank you for being honest. <laughs> and the, uh, I didn't expect him to pass, man. You know, I, it's like, it is what it is. But uh, uh, also because I just like the Karate Kid better than Rocky. You do not. Yeah, I do. I actually You're do. just saying that. No, I do. I like the Karate Kid better than Rocky. I don't think Rocky's a very good movie. If you, if you, yeah, you I was you watching were... it when you came yeah, over. Yeah, all right. It's not a very good movie. No, it's a good movie. No, it's not. It's a good movie. Not a good movie. See, you're, what, 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 what you're thinking is it's not a good movie compared to the other films that were up for Best Picture in, in Correct. that year. Seriously, when you rewatch Bananas and Sylvester Stallone uh, roughs up Woody Allen on the subway, did you... Imagine that people in whatever that was, 72, 73, whatever year that was, that people right then would stop and look at those two and go, you know what? Those two guys are going to write Best Picture winners in a couple of years. <laughs> Seriously, could you have imagined that? Could you imagine I, yeah. that... Those two guys, Best Picture winners. By the end of the decade, two Best Pictures will have been written by that guy who has no dialogue in the movie... Messing up the little Jewish guy who makes wacky movies that couldn't possibly win any Oscars. And next thing you know, there they, there they are. Life takes funny turns. Or can you imagine? Now, because we talk a lot about how the Oscars are really just a snapshot in time of yes. what the X number of thousands of Academy members cared yes. about, thought about, prioritized yeah. at that it's particular moment. Yeah. So it's 1976, mm -hmm. the bicentennial year. Yeah. You've got Taxi Driver, yeah. you've got Network, yeah. and you've got Bound for Glory. And you got all the president's men. But it's the bicentennial year. But it's the bicentennial year, See, and you've got that's it. Rocky. It's underdog Rocky. story. That's it. Downer, a triumphant, yet, all American yet, story. All American story. The brilliant, triumphant, yet somehow also a downer ending. And uh, it was the yep. right movie at the right time. It absolutely was. That's why when I taught film history, I I said you have to read movies based on text, context, and uh, text, subtext, and context. And context is that intangible, you know, right time, right place thing. So uh, you're a rock star now, as I understand it, right? You you killed it at the Roxy. Huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Nobody Come wants on. to hear this. They want to hear Why about Blu-rays. No, well, okay, fine. But I... I it was well, a good show, though, right? No, well, please. Yeah. Three, three of the band members were over 70. <laughs> are our, our, yes, our best song was Making Whoopi. Oh, that's great. Tim and I were wondering what you guys were playing. If it was like jazz or hard rock. Well, or, here, here's the thing: is that I've, I've, uh, I'll make a very long story short because okay. it's completely un uninteresting. In fact, people are scrubbing right now. About five minutes later, to actually mm -hmm. get to the Blu-ray reviews. Um, I, uh, I'm a sax player. Played sax for a long time, and um, I couldn't find a band to join, so I joined a music school. And for a fee, they will put half a dozen band members together, total strangers, but there's the drummer and the guitarist and the sax player and the whatever. And um, they will put you together. They'll give you a teacher because, like, whatever. It's part, of the, it's, it's part of what you pay for. And then they will have you uh, pick five songs to play. You will rehearse only those songs for 13 okay. Mondays. And then on the 14th week you play those five songs at a gig. Right. And that's the school. All so right. it's like a semester. Cool. So we play three songs, because I'm lazy. Mm -hmm. So three songs, rehearsed every Monday for 13 weeks. Right. And then the final Saturday, we, we all played a gig, these yeah. three songs. Yeah. And it was at the Roxy. Nice. And the Roxy, if you don't know, is a legendary yeah. uh, club on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles. You know, The Doors, Bruce Springsteen, everybody has played the Roxy. It, it's legendary. Nice. But of course, I played it. I played Saturday at one thirty in the afternoon, That's nice. when like nobody's there. 
Do you need a, Do you need a keyboardist? Do you, oh, don't tell me your daughter plays keyboard. No, because I've I've picked up piano again. Oh, God. I have. We bought a piano, and I'm I've been learning the uh, I've been learning the the La La Land book. Oh God! I've been working at uh, me and Sebastian's theme for the better part of the last four weeks. It's been uh, quite exciting. I'm getting very good at it. The last part I'll never get. It's just insane, all of that crazy jazz hand stuff. But uh, you know what else I did? And I have to show you this uh, later on. Um, my, uh, I, I, we put together a mock documentary, a 14-minute mock documentary for my mother-in-law's uh, 80th birthday. And uh, I basically spent, I mean, it was a collective effort. You know, my wife and my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and everybody was just, you know, everybody was involved. But uh, I, I spent uh, the better part of pretty much two and a half straight solid days without sleeping uh, editing this thing together. And uh, that was a real joy. It came out really well. You're uh, going to be amazed at how well it came out. I'm glad that my girlfriend screwed up her, uh, <laughs> screwed up her, con- no, her contribution. Yeah. I no, told her, okay. I said, shoot it in horizontal so it looks like widescreen, right. and then she sends it, and it's vertical. That's okay. It's okay. It's still very, very sweet. It's going. It's oh, going did you use it? N- did not use it, but it's it's going to wind up being part of the uh, the extras on the on the Blu-ray. Okay, fine. Yeah. As long as somebody used it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be there. So uh, let's let's get in onto the uh, first of all, John Avildsen. Um, yeah, sad, he's he a was, journeyman guy, but he did some good films. He did. He did. Uh, look, he won an Oscar, and uh, you can argue whether or not it was deserved. But look, he did do some significant films. He did uh, Joe, remember he did, did Joe? Joe, Karate Kid for crying Karate out loud. Kid. I mean, Karate Kid was a if you and, and yes, he did do the underdog thing over and over and over. He did it a number of times. You know, he did it with Rocky. He did it with the Karate Kid. He did it with the power of one. If you remember that Stephen Dorff thing in in South Africa, Dorf. he did it again with uh, um, it was not st- not Stand by Me. The thing with uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, Lean oh, on Me, Lean on Me, Lean on Me. Is that right? him? Yeah, he did Lean on Me. What? So I mean, so he 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 definitely knew that formula, and he he did it very well, and uh, that's what he was known for. And he was he's a little kind of John Badham like. He, he wasn't really ever looking to be an auteur. He wasn't looking to be. Uh, you know, a big prestige director. He just wanted to make movies that people enjoyed and, and, and give them a good time and make sure they were well-made and well-crafted. And that's the school he came from. And he was a good guy. Yes, he was. He was a good guy. Gonna cry now. <sighs> he is dead now. Yeah. Gonna cry. Okay, that's great. So uh, speaking of, now we're going to get into uh, John Wick, Chapter 2. I uh, love John Wick, the original. It was cool. Yeah, what did you think of Chapter 2? It's more of the same. <laughs> okay, so that's the thing. I don't really know how you do this again other than just up the body count, which they do. It's like Taken. Taken? Who yeah. doesn't love Taken? No, I love Taken. It's the greatest. But Ta- you, where Taken 2? But where do you take Taken? I mean, it's just people just get kidnapped. Just, it, he's running out of family members to get kidnapped. It's, it's, Taken 6, they took my cousin. <laughs> they took my cousin's former roommate. I have a set of skills. I won't use many of them because I don't care much about my cousin's roommate, <laughs> but I will try to find him. Anyway, so that's really what John Wick 2 has going, is that Keanu comes in and he's uh, the beard's a little longer, the hair's a little greasier, uh, the gun's fully loaded, and he, he kills even more people. And they sent us a they sent us swag in connection with this. Mark, would you like to tell the people what swag they sent us? Oh, that's the one you showed me before. Uh, it's a number two pencil. <laughs> Which factors crucially into the film. Uh, By yes, the way, it does. okay, no one cares about that. Yeah. So I, I have a recommendation if our, yeah. if our uh, listeners do not know this. I just found out today and I watched it. Do you know, do you realize that Neil Blomkamp, yeah. who has not done a film since uh, like Chappie or whatever, yeah. he just, he's got some new company, yeah. a, a, a effects company, and he just posted a kind of a kick ass little District 90. 22-minute short film starring Sigourney Weaver. Okay. A 22-minute yeah. post-apocalyptic alien invasion film. The aliens came to Earth, and they destroyed okay. mankind. It's like the Terminator. Kind. All right. He, he posted it to the website for his effects company. Okay. Uh, I forgot the name of it. I, I Is that any good? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, very, it's, it's pretty dark. It's, these aliens, they come, and they've, a lot of it is told in voiceover. With Sigourney Weaver saying, you know, they came. Yeah. And they tapped into our brains. Blom, Blomkamp was Blomkamp had that moment where everybody was like, "It's the next Christopher Nolan." 
And then it just he just kind of flamed out with two two more films that just went nowhere. Two big budget hyper special effecty sci fi things that just did nothing. That Matt Damon thing, what was that? Oh, uh, uh, Elysium. Was yeah, it? come on, stop. That was not good. Anyway, uh, John. Oh, so Wait- what I'm, oh, sorry. So what I'm saying is, go. It's pretty cool. Go check out Blomkamp's short film. It's called Raka. R A K K A. Okay. It's recommended. Go. It's good. I will. And, go and it's on a cliffhanger, so you're hoping there's a second one. Uh, or else he's auditioning it for a movie for features. That could be too. That's true too. Anyway, so uh, we got the 4K John Wick two. Uh, it is it is blisteringly good looking. Uh, they pull out all the stops here. Summit uh, does a very very fine job. Beautiful all around. And uh, of course, Summit is associated with Lionsgate, so this kind of raises the bar on what we're getting out of Lionsgate in terms of uh, ultra HD. Uh, and um, it comes with ultraviolet as well, or iTunes, or both, whatever you want, and uh, heaps of extras. Uh, Keanu and the director, Chad Stahelski, who's a former uh, stunt coordinator, uh, do an audio commentary that is very dudish, but it's, uh, it is sufficiently informative, not amazing or anything, but it's, it's fine. Uh, deleted scenes, a lot of featurettes, uh, and uh, you know a thing called Wix Toolbox and the Kill Count thing. All little kind I of don't little, care. Little, We're little gimmicky stuff, stuff. but right. ultimately it's the movie in 4K, and I do think you have to do it in 4K. It's uh, it's better that. Do way. we have a giveaway? Uh, yes, we do have a giveaway later. We have okay. a giveaway. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to the foreign film segment. Well, yes, we do have a giveaway. Uh, yeah, I'll let you yeah, hit yeah, that. Sure. Well, wait, the movie called Life. This is a very bland, boring, lame name for a science fiction thriller. Uh, it's called Life. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, and Ryan Reynolds. Definitely uh, did however well it did because of the... Um, because of the names, and uh, you know, I guess you could see why people would w- why they'd want to do a film like this. It's a it's a B movie programmer type thing where they go. Out they should have called. They should have called it Alien. They should have called this Alien. And you know, here's a tagline for it. They should have called it Alien. And he, tell me, tell me what you think of this. In space, no one can hear you scream. Is that not good? No one can hear you not, not care. Is that not good? <laughs> right. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, it's never been used before. No. Um, okay. Anyway, so it's about uh, they're on a space station, and uh, it's crazy. It's crazy it's, thing happens. It's basically alien, except in the near future, not the not the distant ish future. And uh, what kills them is is not uh, a uh, what's what, what's the official scientific name we have for aliens now? Something morphs. What are we calling xenomorphs? Them? Is that what it is? A xenomorph. Yes. Yeah, the xenomorph. Okay, it's not a xenomorph. It's a it's not as not nearly as interesting. Uh, it's anyway. fine. You know what? It's it's a to me this is a very f- acceptable Saturday night red box rental. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. That's a good way of putting it. Thank I, you. Yeah, I concur. Uh, the Lego Batman movie. People are big fans of the Lego Batman movie. I did like the Lego Batman movie. The only thing I'll say about it is that I thought it was co- very clever at the beginning, and then after a while, it sort of started to wear me down. Uh, there's only so much uh, energy and self-referential humor and action that I can handle. Why am I the only person who just does not get the Lego movies? <laughs> They just they you know what they feel like they are they are it's hot it's a hot franchise it's a it's a bizarre franchise I don't I just I truly don't get it it's I know everyone's like oh it's so clever it's so funny but it it feels like you know what it feels like this is what it feels like it feels like way too much robot chicken with much less interesting animation that's what it feels like but I like robot chicken. Yeah, but for ninety like ninety straight minutes, and it's just it's a, it's just a zinger every fifteen seconds. It's just it's so rapid fire, and and just slow it down. It's just too quippy. It's too quippy. It, this thing is like super duper quippy, and the oh. thing is that when it's that rapid fire, you know the its batting average is pretty good considering the amount of jokes they it's they, they pack into it. Exhausting. It is exhausting. But I, I do find I did find the movie exhausting. You know for. For like, there's a big old, big action-packed opening sequence, and I thought, "Wow, this is great!" And then the movie will sort of slow down to no. a, to a normal pace. Oh no! And then they'll get into the story, and no. they'll do some wacky stuff. That was the slow part. That was the slow part. Yeah, that's the slow part. And I and I I, I get it. It's self-referential and meta and bling bling, but I just felt it was uh, it was too exhausting for me. T two train spotting, not to be confused with T two Terminator two. How do you know? Uh, so here we are, uh, practically a generation later, and uh, they made another train spotting. 
Now, you can ask yourself why, and they do basically bring back just about the whole cast, except people who died in the first one. Uh, but it's Danny Boyle and John Hodge, and it's based on a book written by Irvine Welsh, which was, in fact, a sequel to Train Spotting. So it's not like they thought, let's just pillage our movie. I, the, I mean, Welsh actually did, you know, re- go back and revisit these characters. So uh, there is some artistic justification to this. Uh, now, I know a lot of people love Train Spotting. Did you see this, by the way? Did you see it? You know, I was looking forward to it, and okay. then didn't see it. Okay. So, I like this better than the original Train Spotting, but that doesn't say much because I wasn't really a fan of the original Train Spotting. I I I got why it was a big deal, especially in the UK. Didn't really wasn't really a thing to me. I sort of respected it more than I liked it. Uh, this I don't love, but I this is more my speed. And you know, everybody's middle aged, and you know, where, where have they gone? What's become of them? And Ewan McGregor, of course, took off with the money, and that sort of is the the impetus for everything here, is that he absconded with everybody's money at the end of the first one, and now he's back to sort of make amends and have things changed or have they not changed. And, you know, Robert Carlyle as Begbie is just as insane as he was before. He's in prison now, and he wants to get out. He wants to make a break for it. And so, you know, it, it feels like, yeah, they're, they want to introduce us to these characters where they, where they are, but they still have to have one foot in the past so that we still revel in the things that we fell in love with. We don't want them to have changed too much. And I think that's kind of the weakness of it, is that it, it, it has one foot in the past and one foot in the present, and it kind of doesn't want to let go of either one for fear that we might be disappointed. And the result is it doesn't really take any chances, whereas the original film took a lot of chances. Um, but that said, I still like the human element to it. It's not going to... So if I sound really ambivalent, I am. I think people who love the first one will probably be disappointed by this. I think people who didn't care for the first one will like this more, but I don't think anybody's going to love it. So, that said, lots of deleted scenes, lots of extras here. Uh, the commentary with Danny Boyle and John Hodge is very interesting. Uh, there's even a, uh, a, a cast and Danny Boyle conversation, which is very interesting. Uh, the, uh, and that's it, you know. Uh, ultraviolet, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, there you go. Make up your own minds. Yes, I will. Don't tell me what to think, Wade. I'm a big fan of Gore Verbinski. I admit it. Love Rango. I love The Weatherman. He's kind of stalled, though. He's kind of stalled, though, and uh, a cure for wellness does not help. No. So this is a uh, movie about a. uh, It's it's, it stars um, what's his name, Dane DeHaan, who I don't understand. He was the kid in the Spider-Man movie. I I I don't get him. Uh, Jason Isaacs and Mia Goth. Um, It's about this. He's this young executive, and there's this company CEO, and he's checked himself into this very elaborate secretive retreat, this wellness center. Mm-hmm. And so this young executive has to go get the CEO and bring him back. Yeah. Um, and the problem with the movie is that is that and you know and, and Verbinski is he is a visualist. I, there's no doubt about it. But I, it just way too it's tricked. Way out. just too tricked out. The thing is just it's overproduced and underthought out, and uh, it just it's just beyond silly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's so, too bad. Again, it's one of those, you know, Saturday night red box rentals where if there's nothing else, you can look at pretty pictures and say what the hell. The thing's two and a half hours long. I know. I know. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. It's your fault. So Wilson, uh, Woody Harrelson continues to pick really interesting material, even if it's not entirely successful. And I, you know, I go back and forth on Wilson. Uh it, the the comedy doesn't really quite hit the right tone here, but I give him props for doing this. Uh Wilson this is one of those movies about, you know, they never make these about women who are like this. They're always men who are misfits and bad-mannered and schlubby and temperamental and you know, they got all lots of whole bottle-up issues and they, you know, they how do we just cope with life? He's just the, the local curmudgeon. You know, it's usually Bill Murray playing these kinds of guys. Uh, like, what was the Bill Murray movie? Uh, Van something. What was that? Oh, uh, with, with Melissa McCarthy? Yeah, what was that thing? It was called... Never mind. No, that wasn't it. No, 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 no. The, not, not with Melissa McCarthy. The um, With the kid, where he's the... Oh, the, yeah, St. Vincent? St. Vincent, that's the one. Thank the you. The one with Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, no. She's, she's not in that. Melissa McCarthy and St. Vincent? Yeah, I think so. You see too many movies. I can't remember. Uh, anyway, so Woody Harrelson, he's Wilson. He's a mess, just in every conceivable way. And uh, Laura Dern is also a mess. She's his ex-wife. And 
there is uh, there's a discovery that they make. And I won't tell you what the discovery is, but it's a discovery that results in a in a, in a kind of a life journey, a life investigation, and and an attempt to normalize their lives. And um, it it doesn't quite. Uh, it just it's it's one of those tonal problems that so many movies have these days, which is it wants to be poignant, it wants to be funny, it wants to be dark, it wants to be bittersweet. It sort of wants to hit all of these. All these kind of uh, touchstones, all these points in the emotional um, rainbow, and it, as a result, it's kind of tonally all over the place. And the actors try really hard, and Woody Harrelson is terrific, and Laura Dern is terrific, uh, but it, it's just it, uh, it it's pretty undercooked. It's worth a rental, probably if you like the actors. Uh, this is a Blu-ray. It comes with. Uh, Ultraviolet on it, and uh, that is really it. Uh, you know, we're spending a lot of time talking about a yeah. film they will never, ever rent or buy or see Go for in it. their life. All right, fire away. Speaking of which, uh, Don't Knock Twice is uh, is great if you love Candyman or Oculus or Insidious or a thousand other of these sorts of films. Um, the only thing good about this is that it stars uh, Lucy Boing- Boyington, who is in Sing Street. I love her. I, I do. She's in a Netflix show. She's in a Netflix thing with, uh, I think it's a Naomi Watts thing. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, so she's uh, she's knocked on the door. Gypsy. Like, it's Gypsy. She's in Gypsy. I don't know it what that is. Comes on Netflix soon. Don't know what that is. Never mind. Uh, she has knocked on the door of a long abandoned house. And uh, you know what's inside that house? Terrible huh. thing. Terrible things inside that house. Unleashed a horror inside the house. What would happen if somebody made a movie about a scary house in the neighborhood and you spent a half an hour with kids getting up the nerve to go and sneak into the house one night. And when they get inside the house, it turns out that all that's in the house are happy clowns and candy and carnival attractions. Yeah, but people hate clowns. People think clowns are creepy. And, and you think, and you spend the next 60 minutes waiting for the other shoe to drop, thinking these clowns are going to eat these children. They're going to eat them. They're going to kill them. They're going to take them into the basement. They've got their aliens. There's something horrible that's going to happen. And in fact, what actually happens, the kids are just happy. Yeah, they have a great time. They have a great time. And then the movie ends, and the kids come out, and they go, it wasn't scary after all. And then all the children all around, they, they, it becomes the happiest place in the neighborhood. Would that work? Shall I pitch it? Blumhouse, right? Blumhouse. That's it. That's where <laughs> or it is. Or how about Blum Camp? Give that to you, <laughs> Blum Camp. Uh, all nighter. Oh my gosh! What is wrong with people, Mark? What is wrong with people? Uh, people what is wrong with people? People are stupid. Okay, J.K. Simmons must have done this as a favor to somebody. And Emil Hirsch, I don't know what's going on. He was like, he was riding the crest, and now he's making all these quickie B movie deals. Okay, so uh, J.K. Simmons. Oh man, I, I I'm just. Exhausted. I know what street he lives on. I'm drained even just thinking about this movie all over again. I just said I know what street he lives on. Okay, so Aren't here's you the thing. For me, that I know what street he lives on. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, okay so uh, here's the deal. Uh, J.K. Simmons is the father. Uh, Emil Hirsch is the boyfriend. They meet in the very first scene, right? He's all nervous. Hang on, wait. Let me settle. In, let me settle in for a long, boring okay. story. Okay, okay. So Emil Hirsch, first scene. Emil Hirsch dating a girl, nervous. About meeting her dad, uh, J.K. Simmons, right? He's the he's the tough dad, and, and Emil Hirsch is the the artsy boyfriend, right? Okay, so instant generational clash. Uh, flash forward, he's broken up with the girl. Uh, J.K. Simmons comes into town, can't track down his daughter. Where is she? And next thing, oh my gosh, Mark, you're gonna love this. So the mismatched buddy combo of the uh, the ex boyfriend and the dad, they can't get along. They have this horrible night trying to track down the girl, the girl. and uh, all kinds of bad things happen to them. And uh, it's oh, funny. like after hours. Yeah, it's funny because they're they're mismatched and they can't really get along. And at one at one point, J.K. Simmons is you know because he he he's like so buttoned up, but he winds up having to wear like this tight pink T-shirt, and you see that he's like a really ripped older dude, and it's it's really funny. No, and, and don't no. tell me at the end they wind up liking each other. Yeah, yeah, they learn they learn all kinds of life lessons from each other. It's fantastic. By the way, speaking of uh, J.K. Simmons and Anna Kendrick, who was in this film called Table Nineteen, what was up with the accountant? Did you see the accountant with, uh, with ben, the Affleck? ben Affleck? Yeah, what about it? Uh, I watched that the other night, and it what? has 
it, come by in and out. It has uh, uh, Anna Kendrick and J.K. Simmons in it. That yeah. thing, that thing is a mess. Yeah. <laughs> the only first of all, she's horribly miscast. She's just like you know Anna Kendrick, who is adorable, whatever. But she's like this mousy kind of rom-com silly comedy girl who does not deserve to be in like the accountant like this deep heavy brooding thing Mm -hmm. the only thing I'll say about it and this is probably Ben Affleck although Gavin O'Connor directed it is that I do like the fact that it was very violent like when when Ben Affleck shoots somebody he shoots them in the head and then as he walks by them he shoots them in the head again just to make sure and he does that the whole movie because that's what autistic people do they're dangerous This, this one is yeah Anyway, Table 19 is a uh, movie that's... Uh, you see, you were about to say something, and I interrupted <laughs> you because I wanted to talk about Table 19. Okay. Table 19 is stupid. Okay. Uh, table 19, it's uh, it's about... There's a wedding party, and all the crazy people come to the wedding, and it's got a whole lot of gags, and not a lot of them are, uh, are all that funny. It's uh, it would This would have been great as like a sitcom, I guess, or some sort of four-part, 30-minute Netflix show. Um so I, I would definitely pass on this. Maybe uh, for a bachelorette party or something, might be good. But just, it's just you know it is. It's just it's just wafer thin. Not that funny. You know, six actors including Lisa Kudrow and Craig Robinson, who I love. Craig Robinson, you guys, hilarious. Uh, that I've seen in much better things. It's it tries to switch on the comedy. Uh, it tries to switch the drama on, you know. And the comedy is so bad that the drama doesn't work either. And just the whole thing is just ridiculous. Bitter Harvest is a worthwhile film. Check out Bitter Harvest. Bitter Harvest is, is actually, believe it or not, the first film uh, ever to deal with the with Stalin's starvation of the Ukrainians, which is considered one of the great human atrocities of all time. Uh, everyone knows the Armenian genocide. We know the Holocaust. Nobody really talks about the uh, the Ukrainians, and it is it is a horrific moment in history uh, when Stalin basically just um, pulled the plug. And decided we're gonna we're just going to sub- force these people to submit themselves to my will by starving them out, and millions and millions died. It was it was absolutely horrible. Uh, Bitter Harvest is actually the first film ever to deal with that entire ugly episode, and uh, bravo for doing it. Uh, our good friend Mark Sanderson, very very dear friend of mine from high school and film school, who we, whom we have interviewed on this show in the past, and who uh, last was a guest here talking about his uh, book on screenwriting. Uh, Mark Sanderson was a uh, an advisor on this film, and uh, yeah. yeah, he was, and uh, had quite a had quite a great experience doing it. And uh, Barry Pepper, almost unrecognizable with his uh, you know Ukrainian haircut and mustache and the whole thing. Uh, otherwise, a very fine cast that also includes Max Irons and a very well cast Terrence Stamp, who is always terrific. So, Yay, love uh, it! Bitter Harvest, check it out on DVD only, not on Blu-ray. I am sorry to say. Wait, I'm sorry to say that uh, there's a movie called Altitude. Uh, does that mean it's no good, or it's just a uh, low altitude? That means it's no good. It's yeah, with uh, Denise Richards, who was looking older and older, although God love her, but she just is looking older and older. By the way, remember that uh, that James Bond film that Denise Richards was in where she played like a nuclear scientist, yeah, and yeah. they said, why would they cast Denise Richards as a nuclear scientist? There's yeah. no way a girl that hot could be a nuclear... Yeah. That was the point. That was the joke. Yeah. The joke is that they hired the hottest girl they could to play you a nuclear. How could they, like in a James Bond film that like objectifies yeah. women for 40 yeah. years, how could they not realize that that was the joke? Mm-hmm. You, you, you haven't seen The Mummy, have you? It's become a thing now. I can't. That's a whole thing now. Yeah, it's it's not good. What 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 what, what like there's a hot well, woman? The, the, yeah, but the, the, the like the crazy hot woman. Tom Cruise is like a you know he's a he's a, he's a military guy, and then there's the crazy hot woman who uh, he has the one night stand with, and there's a their their t- sexual tension drives the whole film. But she's you know she's a brilliant archaeologist. Like come on, stop. The like, only it's just yeah, stop it. The only reason I could think that Universal would hand the keys to their Marvel DC universe beating world beating multi-film thing to Alex Kurtzman. Yeah. Right? The only reason I could think that mm-hmm. they would choose this guy who's yeah. done directed nothing mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. is because maybe they thought that Tom Cruise could basically direct the film. Yeah. And that they would just trust him okay. to launch this so, thing. So, spoiler, I'm going to hit you with a spoiler, okay? Uh, Anybody listening to this, turn this off for like 10 seconds. Okay. Uh do you know who Russell Crowe plays in it? Uh, he plays Dr. Jekyll or something? Yeah, he plays Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, he, and and that's like clearly intended to set us up for another movie when he has his little episode and he gets all Hyde freaked out and has his big you know fight with Tom Cruise and his eyes are all bugging out and he's like 
you know, having the having the like the man, the the other alternate personality is it's it's really stupid. It's so stupid. And you sit there and you go, really? Is this like your event? This is your version of the Avengers Universal, really? You you couldn't find a better way and like a more recent property. You couldn't go to Dark Horse Comics. You couldn't do something. You had to like say, let's take our old franchises from the 1930s because those people are all in their 80s now. Well, no, it's I a, mean, it's come just, on. You know, I think P, at least with the comic books, people always wondered, yeah. God, what would it be like if Spider-Man was in a was in a big budget yeah, film? Whatever. I want to see Captain America. Nobody nobody says I want them to spend two hundred million dollars on, on on Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, it's great. And because so, Universal, they you know they're 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 out of the universe game. Warner so, Brothers has theirs. Disney has theirs. Universal Universal wants theirs. Anything further to say about altitude? We uh, detoured from altitude. Oh, uh, Denise Richards, she's an FBI agent. She's stuck on a plane. No snakes, though. She's stuck on a plane. And so uh, it just, uh, it's a very, it's a very mm-hmm. short running time. Not a lot of plots. For some reason, there's jokes in it about uh, like how air travel sucks and it's just not funny. Yeah. But uh, the real star, of course, is um, Dolph Lundgren, who shows up every once in a while with a gun. And uh, it's just bad times. Bad, bad times. Yeah. All right. I would pass. So uh, mine. I'm turning on the air conditioner because okay. I'm hot. Oh, well, you, you, you don't care, right? You're just hot all the time. Yeah, right. Air yeah, conditioner's yeah. not going to damp that it's one, squiggles. sugar. Wow. Okay. Uh, so mine stars Army Hammer, who has had a really rough go uh, since the social network uh, really put him up there playing the twins. He, he's, he's not the Lone Ranger, and he's not a lot of the other things he's been playing either. He's had a, had a really rough go being cast. But... Um, and and you know, man from Uncle didn't do him any favors either. Mine is really a good good bit for him. It's a very contained, low budget, uh, but very interesting psychological thriller, military thriller, uh, set in the desert, American soldier. Mission goes completely haywire, and for the next day, two days or so, he is a, he's stuck in the desert in a kind of a cat and mouse situation. And uh, it's it has some really really interesting uh, psychological ins and outs to it. It's one of the few movies I've seen that really fabricates a uh, a, a small contained situation and is able to sort of sustain it beyond short film uh, length. And uh, it does a very very good job of doing it. The story, by the way, and this is from Wellgo, Bravo Wellgo for releasing it theatrically and on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, this is. Um, the story of how this thing came to be is really interesting. The guy that wrote it was just, uh, he was teaching English in China. He's just kind of hanging out in China. And uh, he wrote this, and this kind of, uh, this was like an Amazon thing. It uh, it caught fire and became a, a thing. And next thing you know, it's a movie. And uh, now he's got a career. He's like, uh, he's writing for television. So, you know, this guy just submitted a script, and bang, there it was. So good for him. Bravo. You know? Army Hammer, he's had, a tough, uh, he's had a tough time of it. Yeah, well. Man from Uncle, Lone Ranger. Yeah, Army Hammer, yeah. He's had a tough but, time. Yeah, yes. So, uh, Three Generations, real quickly. Uh, Three Generations is a Weinstein film, didn't really pan out. Uh, Naomi Watts, Elle Fanning, and Susan Sarandon, Three Generations of Women. However, Elle Fanning plays the, uh, the third generation and uh, is transgender, which is the... Uh, impetus for all of the dramatic and sexual and uh, gender and other tension in this movie. Um, it wants to kind of be a human drama, uh, family drama, feels a little bit maudlin and forced, doesn't really earn any of the emotions that it's going for, but it has three very, very fine actresses in it who give it their all, and uh, it's worth something uh, on that level, but uh, otherwise really a, a misfire for Weinstein, uh, and I think they knew it. Otherwise, they would have saved this thing for the fall. So they were, I think they were trying to get a little bit of political heat out of this and, and hope for uh, some counter-programming juice in the, in the spring, which didn't happen. So uh, might be worth a rental if the actresses are of interest to you. Uh, Way Dragonheart, Battle for the Hardfire. Oh, of course. Um, the only thing I can do to recommend this is uh, say that Patrick Stewart voices uh, Big Dragon, Drago the Dragon. Otherwise, this thing better is... Better than Sean Connery. You know what I mean? Seriously. You know Sean Connery? You know you really think Sean Connery is like not dead? I know. He's still around. Yeah. He hasn't acted and he retired. Gene Hackman, he, same no, thing. No, He's I love still around. Gene Hackman. I know. Oh, I don't like it. 
<laughs> he was my favorite. I know. Anyway, this thing is uh, it's funny. This thing looks terrible. It's, it was I mean, the transfer was fine, but it just was photographed digitally, and it's just one of those very digital-looking, almost like telenovela-looking films. Um, yeah, this is it's just it's just not a very good film ultimately. Um, but yeah, it has nobody in it that you would care about. It has Patrick Stewart, who probably has a VO booth in his home, and he went in his pajamas to his VO booth in his home and recorded his uh, role and then uh, took the money. Otherwise, pass on Dragonheart. Uh, silly little romantic comedy. It's not, it's inoffensive. It's not great. It's not terrible. It just kind of is. Uh, it's called Everybody Loves Somebody. How's that for a title? Uh, so Carla Souza, who's like kind of a thing on television, um, she stars as a woman, goes to a wedding in Mexico and uh, winds up in a, you know, kind of a bizarre moment where she has to, it's like a weird love triangle thing, you know, how do I, I'm I, you know, torn between two lovers, feeling like a thing. Anyway, uh, it's cute-ish. Uh, otherwise, it, it has too much of a, it smacks too much of being derivative of, uh, what's her name, the Big Fat Greek Wedding thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of her movies. <laughs> Except she's not in it and she didn't write it and she had nothing to do with it. But her her, her other than that, it's exactly her, the her same. aura her aura is all over this thing. It feels entirely like that. Uh Walmart exclusive showing roots uh is is uh, an otherwise forgettable movie with some very, very good performances in it. Um, set in nineteen seventy seven and uh the 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 you know showing roots means it's referencing the uh, television show because in 1977, Roots is on television. And uh, this is uh, about how Roots, uh, be, having been on television, inspires a couple of women to uh, try to change the, the mindset of the town that they live in in the South. And uh, it, it winds up being a little bit undercooked. The, it's nice. Cicely Tyson shows up in this thing, which is nice. Um, you don't see her in stuff much anymore. Uh, but otherwise, you're watching this really just for the performances from Uzo Aduba uh, from Orange is the New Black and Maggie Grace, who was uh, on Taken, uh, in Taken, the uh, uh, Liam Neeson thing we mentioned previously. Uh, who's unrecognizable with her, you know, fancy 1977 hairdo? But uh, otherwise, really, you're just watching it for the actresses, and and it doesn't really, you know, it's not the big civil rights thing that it means to be. And then uh, this beautiful, fantastic is, uh, you know, a better film than I think it probably thought it was originally. Uh, some very, very good performances in this thing, especially from Jessica Brown Findlay of. Um, uh, Downton Abbey fame, who I just absolutely adore, and uh, Jeremy Irvine, who's terrific. Tom Wilkinson also shows up, and he's always, always really, really good. Uh, this uh, it takes place in a, um, a a garden in London, and it is it's I I I don't want to compare it to that zoo movie with Matt Damon. Um, because that, that because that movie sucked, but it kind of has a similar vibe, like except this one actually sort of works. And uh, the idea is that there is this garden is kind of a metaphor for their lives and how they care for the garden and what the, the trajectory of the garden and, uh, and how it affects the people uh, involved in this, this very, very interesting little, uh, little dramatic web. So um, don't want to give too much away. Simon Abu is the uh, writer-director. Not familiar with him. Samuel Goldwyn released this. And uh, if you like Jeremy Irvine, and especially if you like Jessica Brown Findlay, you're going to like this. Oh, I love Jessica Brown... Findlay. Findlay. Yeah. Never heard of her. Mm -hmm. uh, Alone in Berlin stars uh, three terrific actors. Brendan Gleeson, Emma Thompson, and uh, Daniel Bruhl. It's a World War II story. Brendan Gleeson and Emma Thompson, they play a... Uh, Family uh, living in Berlin in 1940. They're uh, riding out the war, um, hoping just to get through it. But when their son is killed, they uh, decide on a little act of defiance that uh, attracts the attention of Daniel Brühl, who plays a uh, police inspector. Um, I had mixed feelings about this film. I thought that it was uh, very well-meaning, uh, and it's an interesting story. It's a little bloodless and a little bit staid, and uh, you feel as if it's almost very British. They're just, everybody's just ever so... It's ever so tragic, isn't it? The thing with British films is that instead of like crying and telling mm -hmm. us how and telling us, uh, you know, big emotional speeches and, and going for tears, it's just 
Ever so tragic. Yeah. Our son is dead. Ever stiff, so tragic. Stiff upper lip. You know stiff that. upper lip then. Yep. Stiff so upper lip. So uh, I think it could have used the. I think it, it needed to get up on its feet a little bit. Um, but again, good story. I love Brendan Gleeson. He's great. And then with Thompson, of course, is always a treasure. So I would. Um, and the story is, is good. So I, I would uh, definitely, if you're interested in World War II stuff, uh, check out Alone in Berlin. Groovy. Outstanding. Uh, so really, really quickly, um, we uh, had a couple of a uh, couple of listener mail things I wanted to get to. Uh, no, no, we haven't done a box box in forever. You know what? We, we we need to solicit that. Send your box boxes in. We miss the box boxes. Um, we've just been a not, you know it's been uh, since before the holidays and whatnot. So gods at digigods.com. Gods at digigods.com. Uh, so first off, we had uh, an email from Patrick Asa. Uh, who said, I'm looking through the Kino Classics, and uh, I'm trying to decide between the DVD, DVD version and the blue. Do you know if Kino's policy with the Classics line is to include the special features on both formats? Some of their own descriptions don't include any. Amazon site does. Um, and the, the answer is yes. It's the same stuff on both of them. And then there was another question that we had. Uh, actually, a couple of different people uh, emailed us about this. One of them emailed while I was researching the email from the first one. So, And the question was respe with respect to Where the Buffalo Roam, which Shout has released as a Shout Select, a special edition on Blu-ray. And the question was, uh, is the... Um, uh, the, the original DVD release of Where the Buffalo Roam stripped out a lot of the original music because there were rights issues. It's the old, uh, you know, Parker Lewis can't lose China Beach, uh, that thing. And uh, the and I didn't know that because I just never really focused on the music in that movie. But uh, it's a big deal for a lot of people. So I emailed the people at Shout, who then talked to the producer and confirmed yes, all of that is resolved. The new Shout Select release of Where the Buffalo Roam does in fact include all the original music for the first time ever on digital in any format. So, another reason to celebrate Bill Murray in Where the, Bu Where the Buffalo Roam. Um, Mark, let's talk about some uh, classic movie stuff. Well, let's do that, Wade. Let's what do, do you that. say? Let's do that. So first, I'm going to mention some uh, Warner stuff. We have Warner Archive here. Uh, Sam Peckinpah's The Ballad of Cable Hogue is out in a Warner Archive Blu-ray Absolutely terrific. Uh, this is classic Peckinpah, vintage Peckinpah. It's, if you like the Wild Bunch, you're absolutely going to love this. This is right in that same sweet spot, 1970, right when, when all the Westerns are sort of turning and Peckinpah is really crucial to changing the whole, the, the, the tapestry, the sensibility of the Western at that point in time. Uh, this is written by uh, John Crawford and Edmund Penny. And has a great performance by Jason Robards and Stella Stevens. Uh, just a just a both both of them absolutely terrific in this. Commentary by um, Nick Redman, Paul Sador, Garner Simmons, and David Weddle, uh, which is interesting. David Weddle, I've met, a great journalist and screenwriter. He actually sat next to me one year at the uh, at the Lafka dinner. And uh, Nick Redman, of course, is one of the principals of Twilight Time, so and does a lot of their commentaries as well. So uh, it's, it's terrific to uh, have all of them sharing their Peckinpah expertise here. Really, really great commentary. And then there's also uh, a featurette and uh, pays lovely homage to Stella Stevens. And uh, it's, it's a great movie. I mean, it's a really, really great, just a terrific, gritty, gutsy Western. And then also on Blu-ray from the Warner Archives, uh, one that was really a big deal when I was a kid, the Gumball Rally. Uh, I see? love the Gumball Rally. Wasn't that a lot a of fun? Gumball Rally, the Gumball Rally, and the Cannonball Run, which which yes. they're redoing Cannonball Run. I know, probably without Jackie Chan, who played, who was Japanese in the original one, by the way, which is just horrendous. But the Gumball Rally actually is a is is a better film than uh, the Cannonball Run films. And this is when you know, I mean, everything was kind of segueing from the late '60s. You had the Great Race, and we talked about this last week, uh, Tim and I. You know, the Amazing Men and their flying machines, jaunty jalopies, and all the race movies and Great Race, and you know, even wacky races, Penelope Pitstop, and all this stuff. There's a lot death of race, two thousand, the Death Race movies. Sure enough, yes, and uh, the Cannonball Run and Gumball Rally. Sort of, and, you know, you could even say that Mad, 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 Mad World slots right in there with all of that. There was a lot of that frenetic racing around and throwing all-star casts into it. You know, the big bus, you could even argue, was part of that. Oh, I love the big 
Yeah. So uh, this is one of those movies. Gary, a young Gary Busey, is very entertaining in this, uh, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, Michael Sarazen, who sort of disappeared from the the movie star scene uh, by the end of the seventies, he was nowhere. He, of course, was a was a big big cheese in this movie, and uh, it does very very well in it. Leon Capitanos, uh, terrific screenplay. Capitanos, uh, of course, was a you know big deal at the time. Also worked with uh, Paul Mazursky and a lot of other great directors. And uh, Raul Julia, gotta love Raul Julia. Mm. He's in this too. So great, great Raul Julia. Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a great Blu-ray uh, blast from the past. And then uh, John Waters' Pink Flamingos, 25th anniversary edition, out in a DVD-R manufacturer on demand, not Blu-ray, not Blu-ray. Um, and what I find interesting about Pink Flamingos is Pink Flamingos has always been unrated. No longer. It is now rated NC-17. What, what, you know what? This, the, the, no, this is unacceptable. What? It should be on Blu-ray. I there know. It should be a definitive Blu-ray yes, release. Yes, there should. But it is, it, is, uh, it, is, it is now rated NC-17. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're not going to find Warner Brothers or anybody else all that willing to invest in a Blu-ray of an NC-17 rated movie. Just saying. You to give it to the, even if they give it to the cheapest transfer monkey yeah. out there. Yeah, uh, still. I mean, it's it's, it's I, but I find that interesting that they actually went and got it rated. And I'm assuming that that uh, that was precipitated by some business decisions. They had to get it in somewhere. So anyway. Wait, let me tell you something. Yes, sir. There was a, a book. Sure. The book was called Thieves Like Us. Uh huh. Now you might remember, you might recall, Robert Altman made a movie called Thieves Like Us. Very good movie. Right, Robert Carey. Uh, uh, Nothing to do with one you're going to talk about. Same, or is it same source book? Oh, is it really? Yes, really. Yes, the I Robert didn't. Altman and this same the Edward the uh, Edward Anderson 1937 novel Thieves Like Us made uh, into the uh, memorable Altman film. Also made into by Nicholas Ray's first film. They live by they night. They live by night. Yeah, with Farley Granger. Criterion. Criterion Blue doing Ray. it again. Yep. 2K restoration, hoping for a 4K, but uh, 2K restoration. Um, there's a 10 year old audio commentary that includes Farley Granger, who um, he plays a fugitive who breaks out of prison and uh, with a couple other robbers, and they meet this uh, innocent uh, girl. Um, and so this film, it's not Nicholas Ray's best film, but it's a definitely a cool example of noir. Yeah. It's a cool noir film. You know what they used to say about Farley Granger when uh, he, he first started to, to when he hit pu- uh, puberty? Is this a bad joke? And the hormones kind of started to flow? Is this a bad joke? His parents looked at each other and they said, you know, Farley is fairly furry. That's all I got. I, I, Farley's I, fairy, fairly furry. Fairly furry. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm working some. I'm trying some material out here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm using you as, as my. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, they live by night. Uh, uh, definitely worth the rentals. Good stuff. Also from Criterion, highly, highly recommended for uh, fans of classic French cinema, is the uh, Marseille Trilogy from Marcel Pagnol. Uh, the, this consists of the three films Marius, Fanny, and César, which basically centers around a love affair and the, 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 um, the, uh, the residual uh, results of that love affair over time. Uh, these uh, all three are based on um, on uh, works by Pagnol. I'm trying to remember. They're not all novels. I believe one is a play, and two are novels, or two are plays, and one is a novel. In any case, uh, Pagnol, you know, did uh, was was a, a both a, a a great literary figure, an icon in France, and a filmmaker of adaptations of his own work. And uh, these three films are just absolutely lovely. They're all set around the docks, in and around the docks in Marseille, where I used to live. And it's, it's, it's very much, you know, the culture that he grew up around. He is the greatest chronicler of the culture of, uh, of Provence in France. And, uh, you know, these are all named for specific characters. Marius, Fanny, and César are all characters who are present in all three of these. But they, each one of these films kind of focuses on this story as it impacts these individual characters over time. Watch all three of them. You'll, you'll get it. Um, Marius is actually very, very contained, uh, very, al- very almost theatrical, uh, but these are just wonderful films, absolutely wonderful films, and um, lots of extras on here. Uh, I- interviews, old interviews, new interviews, a 1973 documentary all about Pagnol. If you don't know about Pagnol, if all you know is Jean de Florette 
and a few other films, uh, you will learn so much about why he is so central and, and such a great figure in French literature and in French culture. Um, there's even a 1935 short documentary about uh, about uh, Marcel uh, about uh, Ma the harbor in Marseille, which Pagnol produced, which has hardly changed actually, from when in that time to when I lived there to now. It, it's basically uh, untouched, and uh, you know trailer and essay, a lot of great stuff. So the Mar the, the Marseille trilogy by Marcel Pagnol, absolutely terrific. You got to see it. Wonderful. So Wade, um, the other one to me is that's the, this is the big criterion for me. Yeah. Because uh, it's my opinion. Sure. I co-host the show. Yeah. I get to have an opinion. Yep. The Lodger on Criterion, that's uh -huh. the big one for me. This is uh, Hitchcock's third film, but it is the first r real Hitchcock film. It put him on the map. It put him on the map. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. uh, it's silent. It's a silent film. It's silent from 1927. Yep. It, uh, it's about a, uh, there's a, there's a serial killer on the loose. And this mysterious young man shows up to a boarding house. He happens to look just like the serial killer. Mm -hmm. And he rents a room in this boarding house. And so he's in the boarding house while this killer continues to murder blonde women. And, uh, yeah, it's all about that. So is he the killer or is he not? OMG. I will say that the last 20 minutes of this film is like you can see Hitchcock. You could see it's starting to click. Yeah. The last 20 minutes of this film is really good stuff. Um, the first, you know, hour or so was like, okay, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, it's silent, and uh, you know, whatever. Um, but that last act is just you, you're like, okay, this is it a is. shock. He's it's, doing it's it, the man. deal. Yeah. So I I enjoyed it very much. The of course, um, Criterion knocks it out of the park with the Blu-ray 2K digital res uh, uh, restoration. They also include a 1927 uh, feature directed by Hitchcock and starring uh, I've. Um, Ivor Novello, who plays the handsome young lodger who may or may not be a killer. It's called Downhill, and I had never seen it, and it's absolutely fascinating as a piece of history and also as a film. Um, there's a new interview with a film scholar about uh, Hitchcock's signature style, a couple of video essays, and um, yeah, and there's also an excerpt from audio interviews with Hitchcock's, um, with Hitchcock's interview with Francois Truffaut. Fantastic. Now, of course, the... the Truffaut-Hitchcock interviews are legend. Legend. A book about them. Truffaut wrote a book about them. Also, documentary also about a documentary, them. which is great. So here it's we have some audio uh, excerpts from that, and uh, it's good stuff. So The Lodger, I would definitely check this out. This is good stuff, man. The Lodger, this is Hitchcock figuring it out. This is the first real Hitchcock film, although it was his third. All right. I am going to uh, crank through a little bit of foreign stuff here. We uh, Here is our giveaway. Our giveaway. We're giving away four of these. So go ahead and hit us with your emails to gods at digigods.com. Put your name and address in the body of the email and in the subject line, and make sure you get them to us by June 23rd. June 23rd, Friday, June 23rd. And uh, in, the, uh, in the subject line, put Chan, C-H-A-N, as in Jackie Chan. In the movie, we're giving four copies away, is Railroad Tigers, Blu-ray and DVD combo set from Wellgo. We thank the people at Wellgo who've been giving us a lot of giveaways lately. Really good stuff. Uh, Railroad Tigers by the director Ding Sheng, who is a big deal director in uh, mainland China these days. Jackie Chan teaming up with Ding Sheng. That said, I have to be honest, I'm not a fan of this movie. Uh, it's not a bad movie. It's just uh, it, Jackie Chan is a fairly minor figure in it. You know, he's one of the Railroad Tigers. He's not really being funny. He's not fighting a lot. Fights a little bit. But uh, on balance, it's about a group of uh, saboteurs who are trying to do kind of a, a Bridge of the River Kwai type thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, they're not trying to blow up the, uh, the bridge that carries the train. They're just trying to, you know, basically sabotage the, uh, the train itself. And uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of, it has to do also with what's on the train. And anyway, uh, I, it, 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 the, the film was a little bit tedious for me. It's well made. I'm not going to take anything away from uh, Ding Shang or from Jackie or from the cast. I mean, it's well made. It's well put together. Uh, probably appeals more to uh, China, Chinese audiences. Uh, but that said, it's got a bunch of uh, featurettes and uh, it's competent. And we got four copies for people who want to add this to their Blu-ray collection. So... Uh, go ahead and email us, gods at digigods.com. Get it to us by the 23rd and put Chan in the subject line, and uh, we will do a drawing over the weekend and uh, get to you by the following Monday. Well, thank you, Ross. Anyway, folks, we have uh, Stanley and Kevin Smith Save the World. This is a uh, compilation a DVD of a couple of um, 
evenings with Kevin Smith. As you know, uh, he uh, tours colleges and gives lectures and and you know just nerds out with like hundreds of college kids in, in an auditorium. And uh, as you probably know, if you're listeners of the podcast, uh, Wade and I have seen Kevin Smith um, uh, live in his little one of his little evenings, and we were thoroughly entertained. He is a great storyteller. Uh, and what we like about him is that when he's telling stories, he's not making movies. And that's important. So this one is uh, Evening with Kevin Smith in 2002, which uh, features uh, Jason Mewes from the uh, Mallrats uh, movies. 2006, An Evening with Kevin Smith 2. And then um, from 2002, Stanley's Mutants, Monsters, and Marvels, which is with Stan Lee and Kevin Smith. So um, it's a little old. I kind of wish that, you know, maybe he would do something. They would have maybe recorded a fresher one to give it some juice a little bit. But uh, if you're a big Kevin Smith fan and you're a big uh, Stanley fan, you can do a lot worse than uh, Stanley and Kevin Smith save the world. Uh, again, Smith is a great storyteller and uh, he's very entertaining to watch. So you might just like it just for that. One of the big uh, documentaries of the year is I Am Heath Ledger, and this is an, uh, very effect, a very affecting, kind of impressionistic look at uh, Heath Ledger. I didn't realize how much of an artiste he was, um, so I was very surprised. I wish this was on Blu-ray. Unfortunately, it is on, um, it is on just DVD, but it is, uh, it, is, 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 it is poignant, and it includes a lot of video that Heath uh, captured of himself. So it's a very intimate look, at least on that level. Um, so yeah, it's good stuff. I am Heath Ledger, touching. Uh, luckily, there's it's not there's no gossip. There's no uh, it's 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 very respectful of him and what set him apart in terms of uh, his uh, output as an artist and who he was as a man. So I would highly recommend uh, Heath Ledger, the uh, posthumous Oscar winner. Yes. Um, Zero Days, Oscar-nominated uh, documentary by Alex Gibney, uh, one of the great documentarians of our day. Uh, this was made by and for Showtime originally. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, I, I don't find this quite as haunting as I think a lot of other people did, but it, is, it certainly tries to be haunting. Uh, it's all about this, uh, it's kind of cyber, it's a cyber warfare doc. And there was this, uh, this cyber attack that the U.S. and Israel threw at Israel, and uh, the the fallout from this—I hate to use that word with uh, with respect to a you know even though it's a nuclear facility—but the fallout from this uh, has been rather substantial. And it, it, this goes into all of the new the the, the, the crevices and the folds of cybersecurity and really gets inside this thing. And it makes it much more interesting than really the subject of cybersecurity and, and cyber warfare should be. Um, but I still don't think it's quite as, as, as doomsday as the film sort of makes it out to be. Uh, some great PBS documentaries. Chinese Chariot Revealed. Uh, you know what? The Chinese had chariots, too. This is an installment of Nova. And, uh, Nova? That was uh, Charlton Heston's girlfriend in Planet of the Apes. Yes, it was. You know, I'm seeing uh, Planet of the Apes next week. I know. I can't go. I'm, seeing the, I'm, I'm taking Mark Sanderson. We're going to go. You know, we just talked about him today. I'm taking him. We're going to go. Which we're one? The Monday? It's Monday or Wednesday? It's or? the Wednesday morning one. Uh, yeah, we're going to go I and we're going to. My French lessons. We're I'm gonna taking French lessons. Good for you. I'm going to start. We should do, do the show in French one week. I, okay. It's a beginner French lesson. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, no, we're going we're to send Matt like uh, mean texts from the screening room. It'll be fun. What were you thinking? Is the is picture locked? Really? Because you might want to change this. It's so much fun. I did that last time. What the the, <laughs> the score is fifty kazoos. <laughs> do, the, did, the monkeys are fleeing their own crap at the screen. Did, Matt, did you did you did you know you can see the mic in this one shot? You can. Do you have another? Do you have another take? This is hysterical. It's gonna be so much fun. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, Chinese chariot revealed uh, from Nova goes into the battle chariots that were used uh, anciently by Chinese warriors. Really, really interesting. Not quite the same kinds of chariots, obviously, that we talk about in you know Rome and Greece. Not not Ben Hur chariots, but chariots just the same. And uh, really, really interesting uh, the role that they played in Chinese warfare. Fascinating film. And then there's also Africa's Great Civilizations with Henry Louis Gates Jr. On, on, uh, from PBS on Blu-ray. Uh, they don't put a lot of stuff on Blu-ray. It's very, very well, uh, well chosen. And uh, the, uh, the reason here is because you get these really, really fascinating recreations of uh, African uh, civilizations of the past, courtesy of Weta. 
and um, it's uh, it's really really it's quite beautiful. It's a very very nice Blu-ray, very well produced. And of course, you know Henry Louis Gates is like everybody's idea of a great host. He just he's like he's like Carl Sagan, you know. He's just one of those intellectual hefts, and he sort of takes you through it in a very gentle way, and you don't feel like you're being schooled or lectured to. It's pretty terrific. So uh, that is Africa's Great Civilizations with Henry Louis Gates Jr. on PBS Blu-ray, and then we also have. Um, as long as we're in the warfare realm here, before we wrap the show out, uh, Special Forces, The Fight Against Terror. This is a five-part documentary series uh, from Mill Creek, which is uh, adequate. It, uh, it's a lot of little stories that you know, deals with the SEALs and the Delta Force and uh, the, uh, the, the Green Berets and the Rangers and all, the different, uh, all of our different special ops forces. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's not earth-shattering, but it's, it's fun if you like that subject matter. And similar is Danger Close Inside Special Ops. This is uh, from uh, Alex Quaid Films. I, I'm a little iffy on this. Uh, this is the third film in the uh, Heroes of Valor series that Alex Quaid has done. Alex Quaid is a uh, kind of a war correspondent. She is a freelance war correspondent and is a little bit too self-congratulatory and self-promotional with these things. Uh, I, I uh, am a little bit off-put by all of the, well, I chose to go and really get into harm's way because I knew I had to tell the story. You know, She's very much right in the middle of all this interviewed, and uh, that's a little much. It's it, a little self-serving. It's a little Look self-serving. Me, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the hero of all time. Yeah, it lays it on really thick, and they shot the wrong helicopter down, and if I had been on that helicopter, I would be dead today. And uh, it's just oh, too God, much. That yeah. It, well, the thing is, the war footage is actually really impressive. I mean, she does go along on these operations, and there you got the, you know, with the with the nighttime vision and the whole thing. I mean, it's the real deal. So you can't take away from the fact that she did go there and she did do this and she did get this footage and she was right on the front lines. It's just a little vexing that she feels the need to remind us of that fact. Uh, I wish it were a little bit more journalistic and a little bit less look at me. And then a, a terrific uh, uh, documentary on Blu-ray. From Dust Bowl to Tinseltown. Brother, can you spare a dime? Um, this is really, really, really interesting. Uh, this is, a, this is a, 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 an extraordinary um, kind of uh, juxtaposition is really the, the best way to put it. Uh, this it takes Hollywood movies... And it juxtaposes them uh, with life from the 1930s. And it uh, sort of tries to create a, not a dichotomy between Hollywood and what was going on in the 30s with the Depression and, and, you know, impending war and misery and a lot of this. But it's a collage. It's sort of a real life and an artistic life collage. And it's very interesting and it's very unique and it's unusual and uh, really kind of a strange little docudrama work of art in its own uh, in its own right it's really really worth checking out it's uh, it's quite a fascinating little movie and that is from the sprocket vault and it also includes an hour of uh pathé newsreels uh from the 1930s so uh terrific the movie's called from dust bowl to tinseltown brother can you spare a dime definitely worth checking out and with that mark i think we are uh, ready to uh to roll we'll be back next week um and then uh, the following week is uh, the 4th of July weekend. and the I'll be in New York. You'll be in New York. So we, we're going to be going two weeks without a show, we should, we should point out. Yes. What the hell is wrong with well, you? What kind I, of ship are you running here? Well, for, for 4th of July, I might, I might rein Tim in. I, I don't know if Tim's going to be in town. but the, uh, So it's possible there will be a show for the 4th of July week. You Possible. bastard. Possible. We'll let, we'll let people know on the Facebook page. Um, but otherwise, the week after, uh, I will not be here. What? Where uh, are you going to go? I will be in, uh, in Azraq, Jordan. Uh, ah. I'm <laughs> really? Yes. I didn't know this. I know you didn't know this. I haven't been at liberty to sort of uh, divulge this yet. This has been many, many, many months in the planning. But um, I've been invited to go along on a... Uh, a UN-sponsored uh, filmmaking um, workshop that will be conducted at, for kids in an uh, Azraq refugee camp in Jordan. Are you so, are you one of the kids? One of the teachers? Uh, I'm one of the teachers. I'm one of the teachers. Uh, How did you get involved with that? It's a long story. I will I will relay it when I get back. But uh, I that am is de- very strange. It's are, are, are they paying you for this? No. It's something I was invited to, to be a part of. Uh, because you are a nice person, or because you. 
I've uh, taught before because because I you know it's just it, it's an opportunity that came my way. I will explain all of this at a future point. Uh, but in any case, I'm joining a, a, a collection of uh, some very interesting people. Why do you have to go all the way there to teach kids about uh, filmmaking? Can't you teach them about filmmaking here? But they're refugee kids. What the hell do they know? They're goddamn refugee kids. They're not going to make a movie. They're refugee kids. The UN is buying them... Uh, the red cameras. They each got a red camera. No, 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 no. They're getting iPads. They're getting iPads and they're getting you know software and stuff like they, that. They're going to bang their head against it. What the hell no, is it? No, no, like, no. what the hell is What is this thing? <laughs> Stop. No. Can I sell this and eat, and eat this the proceeds? Is that, that I make on it? It's, 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 it's going to be teaching kids how to tell their stories. And uh, I think it's going to be a great experience. So I, I, I'm very it, much looking forward to it. No man, I feel like these kids are like they're, they're dying of starvation, and you're giving they're them They're not iPad. dying of starvation. They're in a refugee camp. They are. They are. <laughs> the they, they are iPad. happy, but they are. They're. They're being taken. They're being taken care of. They're in Jordan. Jordan's a good, solid, stable country in the region. So, but I will be, you know, like uh, half an hour from uh, the Syrian border. So wish me well. Uh, in any case, so that's what I will be doing uh, from uh, like the eighth to the sixteenth. And then I will be back, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start putting shows again, together again after that. So there may be a show the 4th of July. I'll see if I can pull Tim in. I know you're out of town. So uh, otherwise, we'll, we'll be definitely be back next week, and then things get fuzzy after that for a couple of weeks, but we'll sort it out. All right, with that, we will see you guys next week.